Well, it has been a great, great worship time. Now you get to listen to me, rats. Um, I told you last week that um, I felt like I still needed to do some work on this. Um, and I didn't do a thing to change it. But what happened was God worked in my heart this week and changed some things in my heart and made me better prepared to share this. So um, what we're going to be doing today is this is lesson number eight in the School of Prayer. It's titled The Power of United Prayer. This is the only slide you're going to see on the screen. And uh, you can just look at that and enjoy the glorious beauty of my artwork. I didn't draw it. I found it on the Internet. Um, But let's read that together, that scripture. That's Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Let's read together. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. And we're talking about united prayer. And so the focus obviously would be about two or more people. And uh, as I've told you in the past, I'm using Andrew Murray's book, With Christ in the School of Prayer, as the basis for my sermons. And so I want to give you a few quotes from Mr. Murray's book and then move into some of my own thoughts. So, first of all, Andrew Murray wrote this. One of the first lessons that our Lord in his School of Prayer gave was not to be seen of men. Enter into thy inner chamber And be alone with the Father. When he had thus taught us the meaning of prayer as being individual personal contact with God, he then brings a second lesson. You need not only to have secret and solitary prayer, but you also need public united prayer. And he gives us a very special promise for the united prayer of two or three who agree in what they ask. And this is the reason I chose this graphic. He said... As a tree has its root hidden in the ground and its stem growing up into the sunlight, so prayer needs equally for its full development the hidden secrecy when the, that happens when the soul meets God alone and the public fellowship of those who find in the name of Jesus their common meeting place. So, Prayer in Andrew Murray's understanding is double-edged, or he uses the graphic of the tree with the roots beneath the surface and then the fruit-bearing part out above the surface of the ground. Where you develop your prayer time, your ability to pray, is in the root system, in that personal alone time with God. Once you have developed that, then the stalk or the stem or the vine, depending on the type of plant, can become evident above the soil and begin to branch out and grow and develop into a fabulously glorious God-glorifying thing that produces fruit. But it all is based on the quiet time with God alone. So it's a twofold thing. Solitary prayer, we read... And I'm not bringing up the screen, so you'll just have to write these things down if you're interested in checking them out later. In Matthew chapter 7, during Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, verses 7 and 8, Jesus taught us, and we've talked about this weeks ago, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek 
and you will find. Knock, the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. Him who knocks, the door will be open. We've already talked about this in a, in a, in a previous sermon, and so I'm not going to belabor that again this morning. But just remember that this is the basis of what we're talking about. The root system is based on this understanding of in my solitary prayer time, God has trained me and taught me that if I will ask, I'll get. If I will seek, I will find. If I knock, the door will be opened unto me because it's a promise from God. And we can take that to the bank and know that it's not going to fail. Now, Matthew 18, 19 and 20, as we've just read, says that if two of us agree, this is the visible part of our prayer time. This is the above ground part of the prayer time. If the two of us agree about anything we ask for, it'll be done for us by a father in heaven for where two or three come together in my name. There I am with you. So what is united prayer? What does it look like? How do you recognize it when you see it? Well, there are three marks of united prayer that I want to talk about. And these, again, are, are based on what um, I read in Andrew Murray's School of Prayer, but then I also have some other things that I've added myself because I just couldn't deal with just what he said. And we'll talk about that in a second. Look at the phrase in Matthew 18, 19, 20, where it says, if any, if two of you on earth agree about anything, okay, that third line down, agree about anything. The Greek word that was translated that phrase, agree about anything, is the Greek word symphoneo. Does it sound like anything you've heard before? Symphony. What is a symphony? It is a coming together of different instruments producing one harmonious sound. So this idea of coming together in prayer, symphoneo, there's an audible sound, so it's an out loud praying, but there's a harmony to it where the different parts have come together in agreement to voice this prayer in harmony to the one who can answer the prayer. Symphoneo. So when Jesus taught about united prayer, he said that when you have united prayer, you can recognize it because A, it's audible, it's out physically out loud, and it is harmonious. There is a coming together of different spirits, different hearts, joining together to agree together on this one need and pray about it. Ralph Earle, who was an incredible theologian in the Church of the Nazarene for many, many years and has gone on to be with the Lord, he wrote a book, um, what is it called? I don't remember now. Oh, duh. <laughs> the Beacon Bible Commentary. Yeah, he, he was one of the contributors to the Beacon Bible Commentary and he wrote this, talking about this section of scripture. The literal meaning is agree in sound. Be in harmony. It came to be used as here in the sense of agreeing together. The use of the term in this passage suggests a symphony. And this is what I wanted you to hear from him. He said, this makes joyous harmony in the ears of God. When we come together united in prayer, it is a pleasing sound to our Father. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 tells the story of the day of Pentecost. And what does it say? When that 120 were gathered together in one place, suddenly a sound like blowing and violent wind came from heaven and then the Holy Spirit came and filled them. But there was a key there. That 120, it's not stated in these words, but there's this understanding that these 120 gathered in that upper room didn't get the blessing of the Holy Spirit coming on them until 
there was symphoneo. Until there was an, a, a, a unifying, a unity, whatever you want to call it, in their praying. It may have been that someone was just stuck in their own stuff and couldn't leave it until they finally broke through on that, that last one. And then God broke in and did his work. But he waited until there was symphoneo, a unity, a united praying. Paul, I mean, Andrew Murray wrote in this book, in this chapter, it is the union and fellowship of believers that the spirit can, it is in the union and fellowship of believers that the spirit can manifest his full power. It was to the 120 continuing in one place together, praying with one accord that the spirit came from the throne and glorified the Lord. That's Mark 1. Symphoneo, a coming together in harmony, agreeing together in your prayer. Mark number two of United Prayer, gathering in the name of Jesus. At the bottom of this screen, you see on lines, uh, whatever that is, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Six, seven, eight, nine. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. We talked with the kids, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Andrew Murray wrote, It is the living presence of Jesus in the fellowship of his loving, praying disciples that gives united prayer its power. It is the living presence of Jesus in the fellowship of his loving, praying disciples that gives united prayer its power. I'm reading a book called Connecting. It's by a a psychologist named Larry Crabb. And he's talking about that he's been in the, in the ministry of psychology, of therapeutic counseling as a Christian for over 25 years, and he has come to understand that most of what he does is not therapy. Most of what he does is connecting soul to soul with the people that he's dealing with. And the problem is, is that they pay him to do it. And he said in, his, in this book, his premise is, is that if we, the church could get ourselves to the point where we literally took the time to connect soul to soul, let the Christ in me talk with the Christ in you, there wouldn't be so much need for therapy. Because we, each one of us, come collectively to this church service with our pain and our hurt and our sorrow and we mask it because we're afraid. And then we leave still just as hurt and harmed and pained because we just don't have the safety here to share it. That's sick, but it's true. And you want to know why? Because look around, there's 50 people here that you don't know. You're not going to bear your soul to 50, 50 strangers. So what is necessary in a church that is growing like ours is, is you must be connected, united, Christ in you to Christ in him or her in a smaller setting. You cannot expect to have your soul needs met on a Sunday morning in a worship service because it just ain't going to happen. Because you're not safe enough to open up and let the real vomit come out. And neither, neither am I and neither is anybody else. We've actually even had people who were part of our congregation leave because we allowed that to happen in our sanctuary. Because it's just an uncomfortable thing. So what I'm telling you as your pastor is that if you truly, 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 truly want to feel connected, you've got to get involved with a smaller group of people than 50 once a week. You've got to get into a situation where you know these people so well that when you walk into the place with them, they can see it in your face whether or not things are okay with you because they know you that well. 
And that you have to get to the point where you know them that well, that you trust them to the point where you're willing to open up and let the vomit come out. And that, that type of unity doesn't come easy. It's a long process, a lot of hard work, years of developing. But my goodness, the fruit that comes from it is a powerful and incredible thing. Now, unity in the name of Jesus. Let me read that statement one last time and then we'll move on to the third mark. It is the living presence of Jesus in the fellowship of his loving, praying disciples that gives united prayer its power. Then finally, the mark number three of united prayer, the sure answer. If you look, it says in line number four and five, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Andrew Murray wrote, when any of us have distinct desires in regard to which we feel too weak to exercise the needful faith, we ought to seek strength in the help of the other. When any of us have distinct desires in regard to which we feel too weak to exercise the needful faith, we ought to seek strength in the help of the other. You see, in the private time of my closet, I can get before God and I can say, Oh God, you say in your word, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Well, Lord, I'm scared to death to go there with you. And I want to so badly, but I just don't have the ability to believe it. I just don't have it. And you walk away without the answer resolved, without the need met. But when you come together, sometimes in a setting of 50, more often in a setting of three to seven, and you say, join with me, please. Unite your spirit with my spirit. Let the Christ in you and the Christ in me become united as we agree together, symphoneo, on this need in my life because I'm weak and I don't have the faith the strength of faith to believe that God can actually meet this need. And you join your soul with theirs. You connect with them in a powerful, powerful way. Then we will see the answers coming consistently. But see, the enemy has us duped. I went to church last week and I went to the altar and I prayed and nothing happened. Scriptures tell us if you ask with the wrong motive, you don't get it. If you ask doubting, you don't get it. Oh, I don't have enough faith. Well, join your faith with someone who does have enough faith. Duh! I can't get across the road because my legs aren't strong enough. Well, let somebody carry you then. Be united. That's what this is all about. Loving God together, getting us all to the finish line together. Being part of a group who desperately loves one another to the point where we're willing to slap you upside the head if we need to. And willingly allowing you to slap us upside the head if we need it back. Because I believe, believe me, rejection is my hot button. If I feel rejected, I freak out. So that's the limiting to me. I cannot go to you and get in your face. Because I'm scared to death you're going to get back in my face. And I can't go there. So I have to have the Holy Spirit overcome that in my life. Or I have to go to my wife and say, help me. I'm serious. She is one of the strongest people that I know when I come to I needing counsel. This is the woman I turn to and she says, you can do it. Just do it nicely. Because she's mercy. I'm not. I look at the people and say, I can't do that. I'm like, tough. Grow up. She's like, no, 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 no. To say, it's, I'm so feel so bad for you. No, I don't feel bad for them. Grow up. It's, but see, as a pastor, I can't do that. But that's another sermon entirely. 
Okay, what is unity? What is unity? We've talked about it. We've, we've mentioned it. Uh, Andrew Murray, that this type of prayer is united prayer. Well, what is unity? What does it mean when I literally say, we are united in this small group of people that I trust you? We are united. John 17, verses 20 to 21, Jesus in his high priestly prayer said, Father, my prayer is not for them, my disciples that are right here around me alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through your message. So he was praying for us. And he said, I pray, Father, that all of them may be one, just as you and I are one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus himself prayed for unity among the people. Psalm 133.1 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Okay, so the scriptures say it's a good thing and it's a pleasant thing and it's Jesus' will for us. But what does it look like? Andrew Murray wrote, Blessed Lord, who didst in thy high priestly prayer, ask so earnestly for the unity of thy people. Teach us how thou dost invite and urge us in this to to unity by thy precious promise given to united prayer. And those of you who are marking the united, you're going crazy at this moment. It is when we are one in love and desire that our faith is, I mean, that our faith has thy presence and the Father's answer. That last sentence, it is when we are one in love and desire that our faith has thy presence and the Father's answer. When we are one in love and one in desire that our faith has thy presence and the Father's answer. That was pretty much Matthew, I mean, Andrew Murray's stuff. And I just wasn't comfortable leaving you like that. Because if you look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 through 20, how many of you guys have NIV? Look in your Bible right now at that section of Scripture. Matthew, I mean, the, Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20. In the Bible, in the New International Version especially, in other versions as well, but in the New International Version especially, they have broken the Bible up into easy bite-sized readable portions for you. And they put headings there that are not originally in the original text. So in the New International Version, look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, actually 15 through 20. Let me turn to that too since I I don't want to talk out of the other side of my face. Matthew 18. 15 through 20. What is the heading? A brother who sins against you. Well, this section of scripture is called a pericope. Imagine the word periscope without the S. Pericope. Okay? A pericope is a section of a book that contains a line of thought. Scholars, when they study the Bible and dissect the Bible, they look for lines of thought. They look for pericopes because all of those verses are together in this line of thought. So the pericope for this section of scripture is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. But we've only been looking at 19 and 20. And see, there are thoughts presented in this section, this pericope, that I could spend another sermon discussing with you. But I don't have time this morning to do that. But I do want to highlight two things out of this pericope on if a brother sins against you or a brother, a brother who sins against you. Number one, being in right relationship. And number two, binding and loosing. And we're going to look at this for just a second. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Now that you have your Bibles open, those of you who have NIV, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. 
If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. If he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter can be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then bring it before the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, he's no longer part of the fellowship. Okay? Romans 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Be in right relationship with everyone, if it's at all possible. That's the one topic that Jesus is talking about in this pericope. The other thing he talks about is binding and loosing. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 18. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What? What? Bound? Loosed? What? I... Bind up this cobra in the name of Jesus. And the cobra just doesn't bite me. That's a bit heretical as far as I'm concerned. That's not what I see in the scripture. I, I loose your finances in the name of Jesus. And so God will pour out buckets of gold and doubloons on top of you. I don't see that in scripture either. So what is binding and loosing? Well, to understand binding and loosing, we have to go back two chapters in the book of Matthew. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, verses 13 through 19 is what I'm reading. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He asked, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And Ralph Earl, this great theologian in the Church of the Nazarene, in his commentary on this section of the scripture said, what is meant by bind and loose? Bind and loose appear to our best understanding, appear to represent the Aramaic, which was the common language of the day. They were technical terms for the verdict that a teacher of the law who on the strength of his knowledge of the oral tradition would declare some action as either being bound, meaning forbidden, or loosed, meaning permitted. In other words, Peter would give decisions based on the teachings of Jesus, which would either be forbidden in heaven or honored by God by being released or loosed. Now, another scholar wrote, these two verses should not end in this setting. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading too far ahead. Let me, let me back up because that's the next thought that I wanted to give you guys. Earl, Ralph Earl was one of many that I read. 
And every single time I opened up a commentary, regardless of the theological background, because I have some that are Wesleyan and some that are Calvinistic and some that are in between, because I try to get a broad understanding of what others think about the scripture, not just my own narrow view, because I want to make sure that what I'm saying is appropriate. Every stinking commentator that I opened up on this section of scripture and on, the, on, the, on Matthew chapter 18 as well said, that this idea of 18 and 19 saying that any two of you coming together in the name of Jesus are going to get what you ask for is heresy. I don't like those words, Pastor Bob. That's not what I've always heard. I've been a Christian 35 years. You know when I learned this? Last week when I prepared this sermon. I have read this scripture I don't know how many times in my life. I have read through the Bible at least 15 or 20 times in my life, minimum. So that means at least 15 or 20 times I've read these verses. And every time I've ever heard a teaching on it, every time I've ever heard a Sunday school lesson, any time I've ever heard personal conversations on it, if any two of you agree about any one thing on earth, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. So let's agree in prayer. Why didn't I get my answer, God? You promised me if I agree about anything in Jesus' name, I will get what I what God. And the enemy comes in and just steals my faith. Because practicality, living out the real life, being real and honest and honest before God and before you, I can't give you a comment that says, if you ask anything in the name of Jesus by agreeing in harmony, symphoneo, with any other believer... You'll get what you ask for. Because that's not what this pericope is talking about. There are plenty of places in the scripture where Jesus is giving a promise that you will get an answer to your prayers. But that's not what this section of scripture is talking about. This pericope is talking about reconciling with your brother. And it says, if your brother refuses to be reconciled to you, refuses to repent of the sin he committed against you, then go with witnesses to him. And if he still refuses, then bring it before the church. And if he still refuses, then treat him as a pagan or tax collector. And it says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 18, I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I'm telling you on the authority of God, my father's word, that what you do in agreement in this matter, God will honor you in heaven about it. If you say they're wrong and you agree in unity that they're wrong in the name of Jesus, you understand that that person is out of fellowship with the body of Christ, then God the father is going to honor you in that. And if you say no, that it's not right, I mean, that it is right, God's going to hold that up as well. And that's what this scripture is talking about. And I don't like those words. Because for 35 years, it has been used wrong in my understanding. Everything I've ever heard about this was, it's a promise from God that you'll get the answer to your prayers if you just get one other Christian to pray with you in Jesus' name. And that's not what Jesus was saying here. You can't take verses out of their context and twist them to suit your own twisted needs. Now, Jesus has promised us answers to prayer. He promised us answers to prayer. But that's not what this section is talking about. 
And it's hard for me to say that because, like I said, I, was, I didn't want to even come last week because I was like, they're going to call me a heretic and cast me out of two rivers. I've, I've got myself way ahead, so let me read through my notes, make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, okay, I did it. Woohoo! Thank the Lord. Um, let me just read the, the comment real quick by the... Nah, I already said that. Okay, this is the deal. I intentionally kept our time of prayer to the end. Because I believe that not only should we hear and learn, but we should practice. You know, if you teach somebody how to do something, then you should give them opportunity to practice it so that it reinforce, reinforces what you taught them. And, and you may not agree with me on what I just said, and we can talk about that privately later because we don't have time this morning to go there. If you are struggling with the things that I've said to you, then let's talk. Let's have a cup of coffee and you show me where I'm wrong. And I'll be glad to hear you. Because I'm not saying that in this authoritative little glib way, saying, I'll prove you wrong. No, I, I really want to hear if your heart is just struggling with this, please. Or talk about it amongst, amongst yourselves. I mean, you know, what a wonderful opportunity to go have a cup of coffee or lunch together and go, he was totally off today. <laughs> you know, that's fine. I'm, it doesn't hurt my feelings. But what I want to do now is I want to spend some time in prayer. Bringing us into symphoneo so that our united prayer, not using these scriptures, will be answered. Because Jesus did promise us that when two or three gathered, he's in the, in the midst of us. He did promise that. And we've been given assurance that our Father in heaven does hear our prayers. We've been given assurance through other sections of scripture that if we ask with the right motives, without doubting, we will receive the answers that we seek. We were told in Matthew chapter 7, ask, seek, knock, the door will be opened. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things that you need of your life will be provided for you. So, I mean, there's lots of promises we can point to other than this one little section. So I want us to join together as brothers and sisters in the Lord and agree on the needs that we're weighed down with and lift them to our Father. Joining your faith with others where you're weak will be strong for you, where you're strong will be will, you can help us in our weakness. And then after we spend a few moments in prayer corporately over the needs of this community and this congregation, um, we're going to bring up Renee Temperley and ask her to come to the altar. And I'm going to ask Wayne to come to the altar. And I'm going to ask for the leadership of this congregation, if you're a member of the board, to come forward. And we're going to lay hands on Renee. And the rest of you can join beyond uh, behind us. But I want, to, I want to send Renee off in united prayer because she's going out next Sunday to be a missionary from this congregation to a village in Alaska to work for six weeks, five weeks, five weeks. She's going to be a cook. Now, she's acting in obedience to the Lord. She shared with us Wednesday night, this is beyond her. She doesn't feel that she is a gifted, you know, camp chef. She's going to be able to just pour out, you know, food for 750 people. But she's acting in obedience. The Lord told her to do it. She's following. And God's opened the door and made it available. So she's being obedient. But we need to pray a prayer of blessing and a prayer of commissioning and sending. And then we need to continue to lift her up over the next six weeks while she's ministering in Jesus' name and representing this congregation. So that will be the end of our service. But for now, I just want to spend a few minutes just uniting our hearts together before the Lord and saying, yes, this is what we need, God. So 
what other prayer requests that you have? And if you have a prayer request that you just don't feel comfortable sharing out loud, write it and give it to Renee and she'll make sure it gets to the intercessors this week. So, yes, Michael. Um, Governor Jindal from Louisiana just reported that today would be a day of prayer for the Gulf of Mexico below. So it seems it would be appropriate to be in prayer that his, his day of prayer is today. Okay. We okay. Governor of Louisiana. Louisiana. Okay. Okay. Well, let's do that right now and let's pray. Father, we come before you knowing that you are the God of all nature. You are the God who created the oil. You're the God that created the Gulf of Mexico. You're the God who created the weather. And Lord, your people are literally at your mercy. Because without your staying hand, there's not going to be a whole lot that can stop that oil from coming up onto those beaches and soiling and ruining the fishing and ruining the livelihoods of so many people. And Lord God, we do not seek to circumvent your perfect plan for Louisiana, but we certainly do join our hearts with theirs. And we ask you to have mercy on their behalf. Whatever is appropriate, whatever is right, whatever is your perfect plan for that state and those people, we plead with you, Father, to let it be so in the name of Jesus. And help us to be mindful to continue to lift them up through this time of crisis, Father. Not just Louisiana, but Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Texas, and the Mexican continent, and the Mexican shoreline as well that's in the Gulf of Mexico, Lord Jesus. Prove yourself to be God. <clears throat> Give us opportunity to brag on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anyone else? Yeah, come on. For my son, PJ, um, he graduated last month and... Um, Okay. Father God, we come before you on behalf of PJ Hauer and his wife. You told us, Lord, that if we would seek your kingdom and its righteousness, that you would provide for all of our physical needs. You said in your word that King Solomon and all of his wealth and splendor was not arrayed as, e as beautifully as the flowers of the field. You said that you are so intimately involved with this earth that you know when a sparrow falls from the sky. You've counted the number of hairs on our head. You know us intimately. You know us well. You know what our needs are. And you've promised us that if we seek your kingdom and your righteousness, that you'll provide all the needs that we have. We don't even have to ask you because you're just going to make sure that they're there. But at the same time, for whatever reason, Lord, you have held back in this area in PJ's life. And it is negatively impacting his relationship with his wife. It's negatively impacting his own personal faith and his own personal stability. And so, Lord, we come before you right now, uniting in prayer and asking you, Lord, let your perfect will be accomplished. Bring about a reconciliation and bring about employment that will meet their family's needs. And Father, let it be in the field that he's been become an expert in. Thank you, Father, for the miracles that you've wrought in PJ's life over the last number of years. How he has, his whole life has been a testimony of your strength and your power and your ability to wrought miracles in the, in the everyday lives of human beings. And we just need you, Father, please, to do one more miracle, two. 
bring healing to the relationship and bring the employment that that family so desperately needs, Lord. Amen. Anyone else? Um, yeah. I've been, uh, as people know, that I've um, been called to go down to California where my family is. And there's just a lot of things moving now and, and ways that I, I think I'm being, things I'm being called to do and decisions to be made. And I just really am praying to um, hear God's voice in all of this. Okay. Father, many, many months ago, Elsie wrote a prayer card that went to me privately that said, I sense that God is telling me that the day is coming when I'll be leaving Alaska and going back down to California. Would you please pray with me as I seek God's will? And over these last number of months, we've seen more and more where your hand is making it very evident that you're calling her away from us for a time. It may not be forever, but it's for a time. And Lord, as that time is approaching... Many details have to be worked out. Elsie has trusted her life into your care. She is seeking your righteousness. She is trying very hard in all that she knows to do to manifest your glory as she walks about in her daily life. And so, Lord God, we ask again that you would just provide for her needs. Open the doors, close the doors, provide everything that she needs to make this, which is apparently your will, happen in her life. We thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Renee and Wayne, would you guys come on up? And if you're a leader, an elected leader of this congregation, would you please come up and lay hands? Go ahead and, and if you don't mind kneeling, are you okay kneeling? And then Wayne, if you want to kneel next to her. I'm going to sit because I'm not good at kneeling downwards. What we're doing is very biblical. If you look in the book of Acts, you will see that Paul and Barnabas, when they were sent on their missionary journey, that the elders of the church came and laid hands on them and sent them out. And that's exactly what we're doing this morning. So, board, if you'll go ahead and lay hands on Renee and on Wayne as well. I'm going to... Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we know the hearts of these people. We know that they have submitted themselves to you long ago and that they spend their days living out a life that they're trying to exemplify Christ to their neighbors. They're trying to bring glory to you and they're trying to find new ways to serve you. And Lord God, you opened this door for Renee. You put it on her heart. You continue to keep the door open and you've begun to even provide free resources to her so that she can make this trip at little or no cost to her family. But there is a cost of her energy and her time and her talents and of the separation that's going to happen between this couple. And so, Father God, we come before you right now and we honor this sacrifice that this couple is making. We thank you for the anointing that's on their lives. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in their lives. We thank you for their willingness to serve and obey you. And Lord God, now in the name of Jesus, we commission Renee, a missionary from the Two Rivers Community Church of the Nazarene, to go and to serve in the name of Christ, bringing glory to your name. 
and not seeking her own glory. Father, I pray that you would empower her in ways that she's never experienced before. I pray, Father, when she makes a souffle, that it floods off the table, literally. And I pray, Father God, that as Wayne is separated from his wife, that you would help their hearts to be knit together. And I pray, Father, that you would sustain them even in their time of separation. We praise you, Father, and thank you, and we anticipate a glorious report upon Renee's turn, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're very welcome. And I'll let Ginny get in place, and then I'll say to you. (laughs) Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each one of us as we go out into the world to serve him. Go in his peace. Amen. Thanks for coming. Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Does it still, if that section of scripture is talking about being in right relationship with somebody, then it still, would it still apply for where two or three come together in my name during with them? And then also, does it make a difference to pray with multiple people as opposed to just yourself? Does it make a difference? Yeah. I would say yes because we're commanded to do it. Um, don't forsake the gathering together, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Um, uh, if, and, then, and then it's, um, I can't think of it anymore. Um, in James chapter 4 or 5, it says, Is any of you sick? Let him come before the elders of the church and let them lay hands on him and pray for him. And the prayer that's offered in faith will make the sick person well. Okay. So there's instances where we're commanded to come together and pray as, as a group of people okay. and not just individually. So, so that also would be a case where it's, you know, I can't, I cannot continue to pray and go through this and let the assistance of my assistance. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's, it's, it's an, a, a humbling of yourself and acknowledging that you, just, you can't do it alone and you need to have somebody come alongside you. I mean, it's just like, you know, when, when I was in, in basic training, we were commanded by our flight commander that when we ran our, our uh, mile and a half run for the, for the graduating from basic training thing, that we were to do it as a unit. No one was going to go faster than the weakest member of the team. And no one was going to pass unless everyone passed. So we then were there bolstering those who were struggling. Because if we had run off and left them, then they had the potential to fail. Because they could have been demoralized and failed. But by running as a unit, and being unified in our purpose toward the end, then every single person, even though they were struggling, they knew they had to keep up because we were all a unit going. And so there's a, there's a joining together of your of your heart, if you will, toward a unified goal. Okay. So. So where does it stay? I mean, one thing that I can understand is that well, there are verses that you must have in context. There are some of them, I think, that, that you would, that can be brought out to the end. Yes. Right? So, oh, yeah. So then, would that be one of those cases with the, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with him? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, well, Jesus took it off, but it says, I said, what did it say in 18? It said, I mean, in 19, it says, I tell you, 
that if two of you are gathered in my name, does it say that you agree in anything in my name? What does it say? Because I don't, honestly, I, my mind is like everywhere. Sentence for where two or three come 